Welcome to the Crossroad Off-Road, Minnesota's premier and only off-road podcast, brought to you by Motors and More Jeeps in Brainerd, Minnesota. And welcome back to the Crossroad Off-Road podcast. A couple quick updates. Um, back to Piper's LJ, it was in fact a blower motor resistor. So um, it's the same problem my brother had on his 01, uh, and uh, Piper had it on her LJ that she had. It's a different part even, but still the same problem. Blower motor resistor went out. She texted me a couple days after I texted her, and we talked on the podcast. I said, I think it's that blower motor resistor, and sure enough, it was. So uh, for all of you TJ people out there where your blower motor only works on high or doesn't work as much as it should, um, that's the fix, the blower motor resistor. I think Dustin uh, gave us that idea when he was on the podcast or when we were in between segments talking. We figured out that's what it was, and so I guess we helped out my brother and Piper on, on that one. Uh, my guest today is... Um, a friend of a friend, I think during the podcast I talk about it, but he's a friend of actually my niece in Colorado and Denver. Uh, and he grew up in South Dakota. His name is Joey. He grew up in South Dakota in the Badlands area. And then he moved to the Twin Cities and went to school at St. Thomas. And then he went to Colorado in the Denver area, just north of Denver, I think by an hour. Uh, nor- actually, north of Boulder even. So we talk about it during the podcast. You'll hear about that in a second. But uh, he's a great guy, and he's actually on his third Jeep. Uh, it's his second four-cylinder Jeep, even. So you get to hear about that story. He also had a couple uh, other rigs, too, that he'll explain a little bit why he had those. But uh, this is Joey, and this is his story on off-roading in, well, all over the place, but especially in Colorado. Hey, welcome to a Crossroad Off-Road podcast. I have with me a South Dakota kid who moved to Minnesota for a bit, and then went to Colorado, and on the way, he picked up a few different four-wheel drives, and so welcome Joey to the podcast, and we're, we're going to hear a little bit about his, his whips and kind of what he's done over the past and what he's doing now, so welcome, Joey. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So let's talk about a few things. When, do, when did you get into off-roading? Now, what, what was your first real off-roading experience, and what were you driving? So... Uh, I was playing music for a number of years when I was growing up. My parents are both musicians. And so when it came time to get my first vehicle, um, I was uh, a drummer. And so they said, well, why don't you get something that, you know, a little bit bigger than a car that you can actually haul your drums in. And so we were looking at Ford Broncos, full-size Broncos, um, Blazers, all sorts of things, and ended up finding a 1994 Ford Explorer XLT. Had the four or the, the four liter V6 uh, automatic transmission, um, just bone stock. And so we picked that up and that was at about the age of 16. Um, and yes, yeah, so it was just a daily driver in high school. And then I don't know, I think I was, you know, I had subscribed to all the four wheeling magazines and wanted to start tricking it out. So ended up doing a uh, three inch body lift, which I definitely regret. Uh, two-inch suspension lift on top of that, and ended up running 31, 31-inch uh, mud trains. So that was my first sort of entrance into four-wheeling, and didn't know anything about um, you know where to go or anything like that, and got into a little bit of trouble, you know, in some some mud holes here and there, uh, but had a ton of fun, you know, wrenching on an old rusty vehicle and and you know learning how to do things with hand tools. 
I'm a little bit spoiled now, but uh, back then it was a lot more difficult to wrench on trucks. <laughs> yeah, I see that, you know, Joey's in his garage and he has his uh, stacked toolboxes. I'm sure they're full of some nice tools. <laughs> but uh, so you had that all through college then or how long did you have that for? I had that through high school. Uh, I had another car in between, then bought a, uh, another Explorer, 91. Really liked those first generation Explorers. Uh, they were built on the Ranger platform and uh, the, the front end was kind of this weird Ford TTB, they called it. And it was a combination of a solid axle and an IFS. So kind of strange, but I just loved them. They were cheap, uh, easy to work on. And so I had that 91 for a couple of years. Um, had a few more cars in between that. And then I uh, bought my first Jeep after college. And that was the awesome TJ, is that right? Yep, that's right. <laughs> uh, but it had the, uh, you know, he gave me some notes here, so I kind of know a few of these things, but it, it had the uh, four screaming squirrels in it, didn't it? Yep, that's right, the 2.5 liter, uh, which I think is this, it's a lot of the parts are interchangeable to the, the four liter that most of you guys have in the sports um, and the Saharas, but it, I think they just chopped off a couple of cylinders and said, oh, someone will buy it. And that uh, lucky guy was me. <laughs> and that was rocking around in 31s, uh, but you really, did you really do anything with that one? Uh, not too many off-roading off trips in that guy, I guess, huh? No, that was mostly a cruiser. It really just didn't have the power to, to go very far. Um, a, a funny story that I'll share with you on that TJ was that uh, that was my daily driver for a while. I'd originally um, bought it as a second vehicle and it was just kind of a toy vehicle. And, you know, I ended up driving that more than the other car that I had so much that I figured, well, I don't need this other one. So I sold that and just drove around the TJ uh, in which it was great around town, just super fun with the, the five speed and all that. And um, my family was all living in South Dakota still. And I was living up in the Twin Cities. And every time that I'd go visit uh, them, I would check the uh, wind direction on the weather app and I'd make sure that I had a tailwind because if I had a headwind, I'd have to add on about another 30 minutes to my trip because you know, it would be, I'd be stuck in fourth gear and uh, just you know, using way too much gas to try to get across the state. Uh, you, know, you know how Minnesota is pretty flat and um, a little bit of headwind on a TJ with no power is no fun. Yeah, it's amazing how what 50 horsepower will do for you between the whatever 100 and a half that the four cylinder had, maybe, maybe had a less than that. Uh, I think a few horses get out of the barn on those four cylinders. Uh, same thing with the six cylinders. The, the difference in power between one six cylinder to another even, like I have people who drive, drove mine, they said it seems like it has more power than theirs, but I think it's just because theirs has bigger tires. <laughs> so yeah. I think that has something to do with it too. But uh, they're usually I'm pretty impressed with the power mine has. And I don't know if it's, it should be the same thing or close to it. But you are right. I think even with my Jeep, if there's a slight hill, <laughs> if you go up a slight hill and you're trying to go 75 miles an hour, you're going to be back down to fourth gear pretty quick. Uh, so, yep. so you've had that, for, had that for a little while. And you, then you picked up the next ride. So we're already on our, would be our fourth different four-wheel drive, if not more. So. What was the one that you had for the longest, it sounds like? What was the next one? So when I had the TJ and was kind of running into these issues where, you know, it was a ton of fun around town. It had the half doors. Um, it's still probably one of the 
you know, I, I would say it's the most fun to drive Jeep that I've ever had because uh, you just hop in it and, you know, never had the top on. It was great. But then I started kind of getting into um, not wasn't even getting into overlanding, but I was reading a ton about it. And this was years ago when I think overlanding was sort of a new idea, at least to the mainstream uh, four wheeling community. And I really wanted to get into that because it combined camping and hiking, which I love and jeeping. So I realized very quickly that uh, a four cylinder TJ was probably not going to cut it for uh, the ideal overlanding rig. Um, and it was my daily driver. There's no tow rig, nothing like that. So I ended up picking up a 2014 uh, JK Unlimited, the four door uh, with, it's got the 3.6 liter uh, Pentastar V6, which was, I specifically sought out um, a 2012 renewer because they had that 3.6 and I'd read up a lot about how that was, you know, quite a bit uh, of an upgrade over the 3.8. And again, being starved for horsepower, that was one of the things that was on my mind. Yeah. Uh, and then I was able to find the six speed, which was awesome because I um, had had all manual vehicles, um, you know, for the last few vehicles before that and thought, oh, this is great. I get a Jeep with more room. Um, and actually when I bought it, it had 3000 miles on it and someone had already uh, gutted the stock wheels and tires and put on 35s. So it already had a pretty uh, mean stance, you know, right from uh, when I picked it up. And so that was kind of the platform that I used for the next several years of the overlanding build that I um, sort of put together. And the other thing, I, I intentionally bought the Sport because A, it was a little bit more affordable, but I wanted to do a lot more with it than sort of the Rubicons that I was looking at. And, you know, I was interested in you know, maybe swapping axles at some point and putting in lockers and, and really making it my own. And I kind of figured at the time I could probably build one cheaper than just buying a Rubicon. Uh, so that Jeep, um, affectionately named White Snake, and you've seen the picture, so it makes sense, uh, actually was named by your niece, Melanie. So she came up with that one. Um, that was on a, a four-wheeling trip when uh, Doug and Missy came out here to Colorado, and uh, we didn't have a name for the Jeep, and they were renting a, a silver Jeep Wrangler, and they called that one Silver Bullet. And I said, well, we need a name for, for our Jeep. And so Melanie said, oh, let's call it White Snake. I'm like, okay, that was it. But yeah, that JKU is a ton of fun and had a lot of mods over the years. Yeah, so if you guys didn't figure, figure this out yet, that how I met Joey, he's friends with my niece in Colorado and uh, my niece's husband. So that's why he knows my brother-in-law and my sister, and he kind of knows these folks too. So, so he's friends with, uh, like I said, a few people in my family. So that's kind of how we met each other. And so, yeah, I'm looking at the pictures now and yeah, White Snake fits that there. I like your background better than our background. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it looks Photoshopped in there. So I'll definitely include this on my, uh, my posts I have going on. But uh, my background just be a city street sometimes, you know, too much city people, city you know, life for me, I guess. So you had this for a while. How did it work for you for an overland rig? Did you put it up? Were you sleeping inside? Do you have rooftop tent type of thing or or do you guys just do kind of rough camping? How do you do your overlanding experience that you do? So we did um, a little of both. Uh, the main thing in that build was, as I mentioned, when we talked previously uh, via email, the main goal was to be self-sufficient, which I think is most overlanders goal. And so there are a lot of things that we did that didn't exactly improve the performance per se, but 
it improved the experience of you know the, the adventure getting to where we were going and then also kind of uh, quasi glamping I guess you could say um, is the term they they use so we wanted to have all sorts of stuff with us that would make our camping experience really good um, we went through a couple different setups um, we so I built a sort of a shelf uh, system in the back where we could have all of our gear on top and then uh, use an inflatable mattress where you'd inflate it once you had it rolled out in the Jeep with the seats folded down and then it would kind of hug around the contours of the interior and that worked out really well actually so you could sleep inside the Jeep and then the shelf came into play because you could put all your gear on top of that and then you'd have it you know very accessible um, eventually you know we just had a bit more gear and it wasn't practical to you know move all the gear outside of the vehicle and we we're bringing a tent to you know put the gear in anyway so um we would always carry a ground tent just as a backup okay okay yeah because i've seen a lot of these jk's built out with uh, the rooftop tents and that's really kind of a more more recent deal i would say probably in the last two two three years it seems like rooftop tents have kind of taken over uh but then i watch i as i told you i do watch a lot of the youtube stuff uh, but there's a guy, he, he does trail recon and he goes with one of those, just a mummy tent. It's like a tent that just, it's like a sleeping bag with its own little, little tent. And so you're in like a cocoon almost. And, uh, I think that would be a, a cool way to go, except with my stupid, awesome, bad back, I'd rather have bring my own just mattress and throw it inside the rig. As, as I was telling you, I was looking at different rigs for my son. And part of it is uh, we're going to have to do some, uh, camping during deer hunting, I believe this year. And so I want to have a vehicle that we could sleep in. And uh, I think about the back of my truck might work out just fine, but I want to have a place for him to go too. And, uh, and my other sons have room for all of us. So trying to figure all this out during this uh, nice little, little pandemic crisis we're having where I might not be able to stay at my mom's house this year for deer hunting. So I've got to figure something else yeah. out. But um, my plan is just to bring a, a, a legit mattress out of my kid's room. <laughs> I guess bed mattress, that's what I'm going to do. I just sleep right on that. Uh, I know it takes up a lot of room, but I'm only doing it for a handful of days. And so, and I have yeah. a huge truck to haul everything in. So, but I like the idea. I, I happen to see those. It was those, the air mattress you're talking about. That's the one that kind of, it says Jeep right on it. and kind of rolls into the back end and goes around everything. Is that the one you're talking about? Something like that? They, they do make a specific one that kind of, you can push the front two seats all the way up and then it kind of hugs the, the center console. Mm -hmm. um, the one that we used was a $20 um, in-tech inflatable mattress that you can buy on Amazon or, you know, Target, wherever. Uh, we actually did switch away from that. And now I use a Z-Fold memory foam mattress. Mm -hmm. And you can find those on Amazon for about 100 bucks. But the Z-Fold is nice because um, you, it packs up, you know, reasonably well in the three sections. But then, yeah, you don't have to roll it. And then it doesn't uh, keep that memory of being rolled up so you're not sleeping on a flat mattress for half the night uh so that's what we carry now how thick yep. is it it's yeah it's about inch? three or four inches um pretty comfortable i mean you know our mattress at home is probably not much bigger of a memory foam mattress so uh, we sleep pretty well on that okay cool yeah, i'm just trying to think of you know, i've seen how you're doing that and, it, and you have it on like i said you have a you built a shelf and then you're on top of that shelf. So you have, how much room do you have above your, the mattress for your head? How much room do you got? So there? we sleep, uh, 
in the JK, we were sleeping below the shelf. Oh, okay. uh, so it was, and then all the gear went on top of the shelf. So we had lots of room. Um, so you could sit up, you could change, whatever. I contemplated, contemplated making sort of an extension where you could sleep on top of it. Um, but it worked out pretty well the way that we had it. Uh, ultimately, you know, and I think with this next JL build, you know, what we're going to move to is one of those sort of off-road utility trailer type setups. I'm not sure if you've seen those, but mm -hmm. uh, you can either find the little teardrop ones that you can sleep inside, or you can find the ones that are really basic that have a little kitchen, and then you just put a rooftop temp on, tent on top of that. Um, and the reason being, you know, it's that all of our Jeeps have always been daily drivers. And so I don't quite like the idea of putting a rooftop tent you know, having to put it on and off, it's, they can be pretty heavy, especially trying to lift on top of a, you know, a lifted Jeep. So if we just had a, you know, a small little trailer um, with everything packed and ready to go, you know, Friday afternoon, we can hitch it up and then get up to the mountains, you know, within an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen those and I've been eyeballing those also as future options for myself. And yeah. uh, I, I know the ones you're talking about, the one that intrigues me the most, I think, especially for winter time, is the, the teardrop one. And because then you can kind of have it all sealed up. The rooftop tent ones, I think they have a lot of wearable parts. And so I'd, I'd rather just have a very minimalistic uh, teardrop. Of course, I haven't gotten one yet and I haven't been camping in a long time. But I think that would be nice for those really cold nights because I'm going to go do more cold camping or when it's raining out. And I know those rooftop tents do just fine for a lot of things, uh, but I also have to have three people in there because my kids are going to be leeching off me for you know another decade or so. So I got to figure that out. Yeah. But we'll get there. So that's interesting. So you kind of let the you know the the secret out that you got a new JL. And so, but but why did you get the JL? Let's talk a bit about that. Uh, why you switched over to the JL? Yeah, I think that the story of my Jeep progression has, um, you know, we, we talked earlier about this sort of being an adventure and, you know, with the TJ, everything was an adventure. You know, some days I wasn't sure if it was going to start. Sometimes I'd be, you know, crawled up underneath or wasn't sure if I, you know, get to my destination in four hours or six hours. So that was one kind of adventure. Uh, the JK was um, an awesome vehicle, really loved that. And, you know, spent a lot of time wrenching on it and getting it just set up exactly the way I wanted. But a couple of the big uh, downfalls of that Jeep that I realized after, you know, well, actually, even when I lived in Minnesota, we were taking these trips out west to uh, South Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado, and we were going on some trails and camping and doing all the same stuff we do now. But that's when I really realized how uh, that JK wasn't just quite set up for the mountains. Great on flatland, but it had 373 gears, which were stock, and it had 35s, and uh, just wasn't quite set up for some of those steep mountain passes or trying to go up I-70, and just felt like you're constantly searching for a gear that had enough power to get you up the hill. Um, so that was kind of a bummer, um, just driving that up in the mountains, and it didn't really um, dawned on me until, you know, my wife was getting sick of her vehicle that she was driving. And she said, well, you know, I, I really like the new Jeep JLs because I've rented a few on work trips and, you know, they feel like they have a lot of power and really comfortable, a lot more creature comforts. And 
that was the first time she'd ever driven a Jeep because my previous two Jeeps were uh, manual transmissions. And so she, you know, didn't feel comfortable driving that. And so now she's behind the wheel of a Jeep and she's just loving it. So then the light bulb kind of turned. I'm like, well, okay, my Jeep's very, you know, underpowered for what I'm trying to do here up in the mountains. So my options are, you know, do I supercharge it? Um, you know, wasn't quite to the point where I could, you know, swing a hemi swap. Um, and Overnight, even so, it's still in manual. Hemi yeah. swap. If you have the option to ever drive one, go ahead and do it. I think I mentioned a couple of times I got to drive a hemi swap Jeep and uh, a 6.4 with 500 some horsepower. And if you ever had a chance to do it, I suggest doing it. <laughs> Yeah, well, perhaps um, I'll be able to demo one at the dealership here in the next couple of years. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, yeah, so the Hemi swap is out of the question. I looked into supercharging the Pentastar. Um, probably the, the first thing I was going to do is just re-gear it to 456s and then try that out. But, you know, you're going to re-gear and then you think, well, I should probably put in lockers now. And um, you kind of get carried away and pretty soon three, four grand later, um, you've invested a lot more money in this vehicle. And it's still manual, and uh, um, that didn't fix that problem. So thought about it a little bit more, talked to my wife, and we decided let's go and start looking at uh, JLs, and it would be her daily driver that, that she could bum around in, and then that's our sort of family weekend Jeep or whatever. Uh, so did a lot more research and ended up going with the two-liter mild hybrid turbo uh, because I'd read a lot of people up here in Colorado that really liked that at altitude and had never owned a turbo vehicle before. And so that was kind of interesting. Um, but it is true, uh, the, the power that they make up at altitude um, is incredible. And you don't feel that power loss that I was feeling with the Pentastar, you know, when you get up to uh, 9, 10, 11,000 feet of elevation. So uh, the turbo is awesome. The eight speed automatic is really nice, uh, especially, you know, four wheeling, you can put it in a four wheel low and um, really choose exactly what speed you want to go if you're going down a um, like a hill descent or something. So it's been a lot of fun. Definitely a lot. You know, I, I joke it feels like a spaceship driving the the JL Rubicon compared to my six speed JK, just because there's so many buttons and different switches and modes you can use. But um, being an engineer, that part also kind of intrigued me, and it was kind of fun to see the, you know, what the engineers, um, you know, at FCA that were were doing and cooking up as opposed to, you know, what I'd been working on you know, in my garage for years. Yeah, well actually, after you said what you got, I, I found a, a dyno chart and a dyno on YouTube compared the V6 to the hybrid uh, turbo uh, four cylinder. And they were showing the torque curves. It's like the, the torque on the V6 is down here. And then right away, the four cylinders up here and it stayed there. It was like this thing where the, the mild hybrid got it up there and then the turbo took over and while the you know, V6 is still trying to get up on this uh, torque curve, which is interesting. It was just an interesting way to look at it. So if you've got a lot of hills and you need that torque and that power right out of the gates, the hybrid gets you started and then the turbo kicks over. So I thought that was an interesting way, kind of how they did that. And I think this was at altitude, they're testing it uh, also. So I was kind of, this was back in 18 where they put this on YouTube. So feel free to YouTube that yourself and find it guys, because um, I can't remember where I found it, but I just was poking around and found it, but you can, you can find it on YouTube. So it's interesting. So for you, the, how has the hybrid turbo working out? Been working out pretty well for you then? You feeling like it's the, the right choice then? 
Yeah, I definitely do. And after owning the the Pentastar, I wasn't super interested in just buying a new Jeep that had the same engine in it. Um, and exactly what you were saying, you know, the the I think they call it an e-torque or something. Um, but it's it's got the electric motor that will get you off the line. And with that electric motor, you have that instant torque. Um, you know, so like you said, if you look at the dyno sheet, it's pretty crazy. It's just all the torque at your disposal right off the line. And then as your RPMs are gaining, the turbo is spooling up and then you get that uh, horsepower and torque as you know you start making boost. And so they really complement each other well. And we're seeing about uh, 21, 22 miles per gallon combined driving, uh, which you know for a Jeep um, is pretty decent. Um, and that's the on the stock 33s. So it does a pretty good job, you know, all around good, fun motor to play around with. And uh, they've got the ECU pretty locked up right now. Uh, some companies are, you know, trying to work on some tuners and whatnot, but it's just like uh, any turbo vehicle, you know, they, they limit the boosts um, pretty aggressively. And if you can find a company that can sort of crack the code and uh, you know, unlock some of those parameters, you can pull a lot more horsepower out of them, which I wouldn't need for daily driving, but it'd be kind of fun just to, to mess around with once in a while. So, yeah, and you, are you in Castle Rock or Denver? Or where are you at? So we're north of Denver. Um, we're in a town called Firestone. It's uh, sort of, I guess it would be a little bit northeast of Boulder, but okay. we're about, um, you know, less than an hour from mountains and so that's it's any direction you go west you can pretty much find some pretty killer trails and so for the people who don't understand too much about why turbos are better at altitude when you go to altitude the, the air gets less dense and the regular horse the regular horsepower and the regular motors you're naturally aspirated it just goes down like it just you just don't have the power that you would have at sea level so what a turbocharger or supercharger will do was uh, you know boost up the air pressure inside the motor and kind of help force feed that motor some air and thereby giving you the power back. And so in talking to like the, I was talking about the TFL guys, the TFL trucks, TFL guys, they'd really like the, the Ford EcoBoost and anything that's turbo or supercharged because they're at the altitude, they're in Boulder, you know, they're you know, way up there, mile above sea level. So you just, you just don't have power if you don't have a you know, force fed type of engine. And so that's what, this Jeep is doing. That's why one of the reasons you picked it up. So um, that's as much as I know about motors. I'm not an expert. Like I'm just an enthusiast. I know that much. And uh, and knowing that you're up there, you're, you're you're living that life. If you guys have never been at altitude and you tried going hiking, I've been up to uh, Pikes Peak, and I got to the top of that. I didn't hike the whole thing. I took the tram up. By the time I got to the top, I was like, man, this is really. Weird. I've been up ten thousand feet before, but going up another few more thousand feet. Man, I was dying. I was hurting you, and I was so dizzy. And uh, so your engines kind of feel the same way. They're starved for some air. They're starved for that oxygen. So uh, that's the difference between a natural aspirated and a turbo. Now, in Minnesota, we have we're we're down here. We're just you know we're not much above sea level if you really think about it compared to the out west are. And Denver, if you look at a topographical map, it's funny. Just the Denver and the Boulder area, they're right at the edge of the mountains. You can look at it on any map. It goes plain and all of a sudden it goes right up the hill. Uh, and Denver's like right there, like right where the hill is starting. That's where Denver is at. It's really interesting to look at it on a topographical map. 
And so if you're going to have some fun on the weekends up in the hills or you're going to do anything at altitude, having that turbo has been a, a huge advantage. So uh, what kind of up, updates have you done for it uh, on the new Jeep? Have you tried, were you able to kind of pull some stuff out of the old Jeep to put in this new one or has it been like you kind of had to start over again? Yeah, good question. So I pulled uh, as much out of the old Jeep as, as I could and had a big garage sale um, and actually funded some of the early JL projects, I guess. So uh, some of the parts will transfer over. Um, they're very similar, but not quite close enough that everything will work. Uh, so I did have to start over on a number of different things and also being a new engine, you know, none of that stuff would transfer over either. Um, so the JL is pretty stock right now, uh, being the Rubicon, it already had pretty much everything that I wanted. Um, you know, four tens, lockers, sway bar disconnect, all that good stuff. Uh, I pulled over my air compressor from the JK. Um, and that's, you know, it's not fixed. So that was pretty easy. Um, it's got a new bumper. Um, I pulled the winch off the JK and put that on, um, just a 10,000, um, pound winch. Um, all the high lift gear recovery, all that stuff. I had to buy a new mount for the tailgate, but that stuff all transferred over. I've got sort of some recovery tools and roto packs and that kind of thing. Um, and then let's see here. Oh, and then I mentioned uh, this weekend we'll be putting on the, the best top Sunrider for hardtop. So um, I really wanted one of those for my JK. I had the hardtop and a soft top, but you know, so often the soft top you know, you'd only flip it back over the, you know, the main part. So I wanted my cargo all covered and just use the Sunrider functionality. So, um, yeah, if, if you have a JK or a JL with the freedom panels and you like the hard top, definitely look into that Sunrider because they're, they're pretty slick. Mm -hmm. You did something else too that, um, I had to look it up. You told me to do it. So I did it, but the pressurized water bumper, and your JK, you like, are you going to try to do the same thing for your JL? I mean, explain what that is first and what you've got going on with that. Yeah, so this was by far uh, the most popular, most talked about mod that I ever did on the JK. Um, I think maybe part of the reason is because it's a little bit unusual. And then some of the other reasons are, you know, um, there's not a kit for it. So, you know, it's really cool, uh, especially, well, I thought I had a cool JK when I lived in Minnesota and I moved to Colorado and it was, you know, it looked stock compared to all <laughs> these, you know, Hemi swaps, uh, you know, Jeeps on one tons and forties. And I mean, the, the Jeeps out here are absolutely insane. So uh, anyway, the, the water bumper on the JK was probably one of the most unusual and one of my favorite mods. And what it is on a factory uh, JK bumper, there's, I think, I don't know, six or eight uh, little drain holes. It's a plastic bumper, but there's these little drain holes in the bottom. And what someone figured out is that it's totally hollow. And if you plug those drain holes in the bottom, it'll hold about seven gallons of water. So then what you do is you uh, drill a hole in the top part and you add a little filler cap. I used one uh, that was out of like a boat. So if you want to fill a boat or RV, little drain cap kind of thing. And then you can buy a water pump um, that's used for an RV. And the way that works is uh, you give it constant 12 volts and you plumb it on the, um, the bottom side of the bumper. And when you open up the valve, it senses a pressure drop and starts pumping water. So I put a uh, hose spigot 
kind of right below the or right next to the hitch and plumbed it all up wired it up and so you could hook up a hose with you know like a um, little pressure washer type of head and um, you'd have pressurized water about seven gallons for you know cleaning off your camping gear your hunting gear um, you want to wash dishes or something I don't know spray off your your friends um, wet dogs all that kind of stuff so that was a really cool mod and it was probably like 80 bucks all said and done and you know an afternoon kind of tinkering in the garage but uh yeah definitely if, if you haven't seen that and you've got a jk go uh, do a youtube search on uh, jk water bumper and you'll find some really good tutorials and that's what i found so so I, to my knowledge there aren't any kits for this but it'd be pretty cool if there were yeah, it seems pretty simple for the JK guys to do that with the stock bumper. I'm more of a stock bumper guy because I just, you know, it's cheap. <laughs> That's already on there. And, and uh, but a lot of people want to put these heavier aftermarket bumpers, which have their place, you know, for protection. But it's funny how they took a stock bumper and just modded it. And so you're gonna, are you going to try to do the same thing with the J, JL then? Is that kind of something you want to do? I don't know if it'll hold water, to be honest. Um, I... I'm kind of waiting for someone on the forums to do that first and then I'll say, okay, cool. It's confirmed. They, they tried it out, but I kind of don't want to just start drilling holes in, in the jail until I know it's actually going to hold water. So uh, a new not quite sure. yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yet. All right. Yeah. So you guys, you guys mainly use this for a lot of uh, hiking and, and camping. Is that kind of what you're using your Jeep for to get to those areas? Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting about Colorado, and I, I did a quick Google search on this too to figure the stat out. It's not like I knew it beforehand, but um, about 36% of Colorado is all public land. And so a lot of that's national forest land and whatnot. And there was some law that came out a number of years ago that said that um, the government had to basically make maps for all of its public lands, these uh, national forests and whatnot. And so those are the MVUMs, which you, you know, some of you guys have probably heard of if you wheeled out in the Black Hills or Colorado, um, motor vehicle usage map. And they're all free to download on the Avenza app. Um, some of you guys have probably heard that too. But so we use our iPad with the uh, Avenza app and all the MVUMs. And you can see all the, you know, public use four-wheeling OHV trails in Colorado. And there are thousands of them. And it's incredible. So um oftentimes when we're going camping or hiking or whatever it's those old fire roads these um you know blm uh roads that you have to use to get to those spots and so you know some of them are kind of um just you know two tracks sort of dirt roads that you know you could get in pretty much any um four-wheel drive and then some of them get pretty gnarly and some of them are you know a lot of fun and you just kind of make some notes on which ones are are the ones you want to hit up and depending on who you're going wheeling with or which ones are appropriate and everything's free so it's it's really great to you know do that kind of wheeling and like you said we use our jeeps as a sort of method to get to or it's, it's a part of the adventure but not the sole purpose so we'll hop in the jeep we'll head up the mountains uh, go on some of these forest service roads and whatnot and find our camping spot um, where we'll find our trailhead and and a lot of them are you know aggressive enough that you can't take a, a stock vehicle through so you know we use our jeep to get to the camping spots and to get to the trailheads that no one else can get to and 
Uh, what's fun about that is Colorado's super overcrowded, especially on the weekends and having a vehicle that can take us to more remote places that we can kind of play around in the mountains is, is really nice. And we're not uh, sort of hindered um, on what we can do up there. And this, uh, you know, I've talked about different map services that are out there. Avenza is you have to download the map first, right? And then it, you can use it without cell signal, correct? Yeah, okay. that's right. I think Onyx is another one that I have too. And I love to hear this Onyx off-road uh, is another one. It's the same system and that's a, it's a minimal price, I think, per year. Um, I can't remember the exact price for membership on that one too. But they pull in all those maps you're talking about. They pull all that in and then you can say, okay, I want to go this spot here. And then you'll still be, you can still use your phone and it'll still tell you where you're at. It just won't tell you where to go. <laughs> but if you have the map already downloaded, it'll show you where you're at and how you can get around there. Um, I'm curious to see who's used the different ones that are out there, but I have a Venza, I have Onyx on my phone. I actually have the old Polaris one on here also that I actually used one time when we were on a, uh, a ride command is the name of that one. I used that one time when we went to off-road park nearby here just to kind of see where we're at on the, at the park. So I've used a couple different ones, but I haven't been, I had planned, I think I might have told you, had planned to do a Moab trip this year but that obviously got canceled and, uh, and, but I still want to do some sort of different trips around here. So hopefully this fall we'll be able to get out and do some more stuff, but like we have on here, the BLM is Bureau of Land Management. Uh, and you know, Colorado has a lot of land to use and uh, a lot of adventure to have out there. And that's one of the reasons you're out there is to have that adventure. So it's cool that you found that. So if you're a Minnesotan or a South Dakota person or in the area, you look for a place to go, What's your, one of your favorite places to go in Colorado? Uh, boy, that's a, a great question. I think it really depends on, you know, who I'm with, um, what vehicles you're, you're with, and, and what you're trying to get out of it. So like I said, some of the most scenic drives uh, out here in Colorado with the best views, um, just the ones that you, you can't even take a picture of, they're that incredible. Uh, a lot of those roads aren't that difficult. And so you can take pretty much anyone that's with you in a fairly stock vehicle, you know, with a little bit of clearance and you can take them to those roads and have a really nice, um, you know, afternoon or a whole day if you want of wheeling and not worry about breaking down. And, you know, there's a lot of exposure. So if you're not a fan of um, driving alongside a, you know, a couple hundred thousand foot drop, that's uh, <laughs> some of those roads I wouldn't recommend. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely trails like that and, um, that are, we like just for enjoying the scenery and whatnot. Um, there are some more aggressive ones that we've done that are kind of more in wooded sort of rocky areas. Um, I, I think there's a few near, uh, gross reservoir that we've done that are pretty fun and, you know, just sort of moderate, uh, type of wheeling. And what I've liked, you know, speaking of apps is the all trails app. And we use that one a ton for hiking. Um, but you can also, in the filter section, you can put what activity you want to do. So if you say, I want to filter it to only OHV trails, then you can just look at all the Jeep trails out, you know, out here in Colorado. And most of them, they're all on that public land, uh, but it's people that have given them a name. So rather than, you know, uh, 214A, it'll say, oh, this is the uh, Switzerland trail or something. 
And then you can um, read about other people that wield that trail, what their rigs are. People will um, you know, comment on that trail and say, yeah, I did this in a stock forerunner or I did this on a you know, YJ on 33s or whatever. And you can kind of gauge what you're getting yourself into rather than just sort of looking at a map and blindly turning down the road. And so we've used the All Trails app a lot as well to kind of pick out trails based on, like I said, who you're, you're with, what type of adventure you want to have, and, you know, do you uh, expect to be driving back under your own power, or are you going to be looking for, a, you know, a toe out of there, that kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to have that. You want to, you know, there's a sticker I saw, it's just like, be careful, stupid, you have to drive this thing home. You put a st that sticker in your vehicle, you won't uh, get yourself yep. in trouble too often. Well, cool. Well, I think we've learned a lot from you today. Just fun things you did with your different Jeeps. You've had plenty of them. And then now it sounds like you have one you're going to be building up. So I'm excited to see what you do with it. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, hopefully someday I'll get out there to Colorado with my Jeep and uh, do some wheeling with you. So it's kind of one of my plans is to get out there and use it. And uh, so hopefully this, this whole thing we're in right now gets done fast enough so I can start having adventures again. So but uh, Joe, you've been great. That's kind of what I'm looking for. And uh, is the adventures you're having, I mean, if you ever want to have some boring, uh, you know, trails in Minnesota, I can show you plenty of those. <laughs> but there's some good trails. I'm joking around. There's a lot of good trails here too. I think I've seen almost all of them. I'm looking for the next adventure that might be out there for us. So uh, that's awesome. But yeah, I like to hear that you're using different apps that are out there. And so much. I have the All Trails app. I have the Avenza. Uh, Onyx is another one. I'm just trying to find a one that's going to work well for me. It sounds like they all work very similar to each other, but I know the all trails had different ones on it, like the hiking one. I've actually used that one, I think, for mountain biking. There's some mountain biking ones on there, too. So um, kind of help find the mountain bike trails, too. So cool. Well, thanks again for being on. This is awesome. And uh, any questions for me? No, uh, definitely. Thanks for having me on. It was you know fun to share a little bit of background of you know, where – you know, I like to go wheeling and kind of what type of wheeling that we do out here, at least personally. Now, if there's uh, anyone listening, obviously many of your listeners are outside of Colorado, but you know, definitely come out to Colorado, come enjoy it. Um, you know, we, we love people coming into our state and spending money um, and then going back home and <laughs> trying to leave our real estate market as it is. Um, but no, seriously, uh, some of the nicest people out here everyone's super outdoor oriented and um you know I, just so many trails and so much to do more than you could ever do in a lifetime so uh, definitely come out to colorado um or even use it as a launching point you know we got utah is just a handful hours away with moab and um even up in wyoming there's a lot of really good wheeling you know up in bighorns and whatnot um so yeah great place it's a lot of fun to to hang out and you know experience the mountains so um, yeah, and definitely if next time you're out in Colorado and you want to do a little wheeling, we'll, uh, we'll set that up. Awesome. I'll do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks again, Joey. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mitch. Have a good one. You too. Hey, gang. Thanks for listening to the Crossroad Off-Road Podcast brought to you by Motors and Motor Jeeps in Brainerd, Minnesota. Go online and check them out.